Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So uh, about a month, a little over a month ago, I began this series on James. I preached James 1, verses 1 through 18. And uh, one of the things that I introduced there that I want to remind you of is the main theme of the book of James. If I were to summarize the main point of the book of James, it's that a true and living faith must be lived out. James doesn't say that works are what save us, but if we are saved, we will do good works. And a faith that does not result in works, James says very clearly in chapter 2, is dead. And so we saw uh, last time how a true and living faith was to be lived out in the face of trials. And this morning, we're going to look at how a true and living faith is to be lived out in obedience to God's word. So follow along with me as I read James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So as I've said, the the theme of Uh, This morning's message is that we are to live out our faith in obedience to God's word. I'm a parent. I have uh, have two kids and and soon a third one that will be here uh, in the next couple weeks. Look forward to that. Uh, But one of the things as a parent that I am trying to teach my kids is that they would obey. So in order for my daughter to obey me as her father, there's a couple things that need to happen. Uh, first thing she is, needs to do is she needs to hear what I'm telling her to do. If she never hears me tell her, clean her room, she can't obey that command. And so that's the first thing. She needs to hear what I'm telling her to do. But the second thing is she needs to actually do the thing I'm telling her to do. So if I tell my daughter, Evangeline, I want you to go clean your room, and I come back a few hours later, and I see her room is still messy. And I say, what happened? Did, didn't you hear what I said? She said, yes, I, I heard you said to clean my room. And so, you know what? Uh, I wrote a song about cleaning your room. And you know what? I, I even uh, painted a picture of what a clean room would look like. And I invited other of the little girls over for church. And we sat in a circle and we talked about what it means to clean our room. And she does all these things, but she doesn't do the thing I told her to do. The room is still messy. She is not obeyed. And so it's the same thing with God's word. In order to be obedient to God's word, we have to first hear what God's word says. And second, we have to actually do what God's word says. And we can't divorce those things We can't separate them. We can't do God's word if we don't hear it. And we can't just hear God's word and stop short there. We need to hear God's word and do God's word if we want to live out our faith and obedience to him. And so we hear God's word through scripture. We hear God's voice through the Bible. We need to look at the Bible not just as a collection of stories, not just as uh, inspirational quotes or maybe something that I can post on Facebook every once in a while, but the Bible has demands on our life. 
Jesus is not just our Savior. He is our Lord. And, and Scripture says very clearly, if we love God, we will obey his commandments. So that's why this morning we're going to talk in our text about how to live out our faith and obedience to God's word, first by hearing his word, and next by actually doing what his word says. So we see the first command to hear the word in verses 19 through 21. You see the command right in verse 19. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let each person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So we see that command in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is a command to receive, to hear God's word. But notice how the word is described in verse 21. It's the implanted word. And what this, what this is getting at is that uh, for all of us who are believers, uh, part of being a believer, what God has done is he has taken his word and he has implanted it in us. But he also describes the word as this. He says the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, this isn't talking about conversion, although it does kind of sound like that. Uh, James does talk about that in verse 18. Look at that. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And so, yes, we are saved. God's word works in that. It's by hearing the word that we can call upon the Lord in faith and be saved. But, but I think what it's talking about in verse 21 is not so much conversion. It is talking about our future ultimate salvation. So in one sense, we are saved, we have been justified, we have been redeemed, the completed work of Christ is done, it is finished, and we can rest in that. But in another sense, there's a, there's a future aspect to our salvation. We look forward to the day where our salvation is ultimately fulfilled when we see Christ in glory, when our resurrected bodies are put on, when we are fellowshipping with Christ face to face, sin is removed, that is our destination. That's where we're headed. And that's our true and final and ultimate future salvation. And so God's word, the implanted word, is what helps us get to that future point. So we have been saved by the word. It's what redeems us. It's what justifies us. That's a completed work. We're looking forward to our glorification. But then there's that period in between. That period in between where we're living on this earth as people who have been redeemed but are still struggling with sin or are still living in a fallen world. And in that in-between point, we are to be sanctified. We're to grow in holiness and so the, the point of God's word is he's implanted it in us so that his word would have an effect, would increasingly help us to grow in holiness, help us to grow in Christ's likeness so that we can grow for our lives until we enter glory. God's word is in us, it is implanted in us, but he says that we must receive it. So how do we receive something that's already in us? What James is referring to here is that God's word is implanted in us. It has the power to sanctify us as we prepare for glory, but we have to let the word work. We have to receive it. We don't stifle it. We seek out his word. We grow in knowledge of his word. We obey his word, and by doing that, we're sanctified, and we become more and more like Christ until we see our Savior in glory. And so to receive the word is to let it have its sanctifying work in your life. But how are we to do this? How are we to hear the word? It's, it's not just something that happens automatically. It's not something that happens passively. It's something that we have to do. I think James tells us the first thing we need to receive God's word, to hear God's word in verse 21. He says, receive with meekness. The implanted word. That word meekness means the quality of not being overly impressed by one's sense of self-importance. 
We need meekness to receive God's word. If we think we have it all together, if we think we know it all already, we're not going to receive the word of God. And so, so the way I, I kind of summarize this attitude is in order to hear the word, we have to do so with a teachable spirit. We have to do that with a teachable spirit. And this is so important. I've been going through this biblical counseling program, and in one of my books, this biblical counselor says, I would rather counsel someone with severe problems who's teachable than someone with minor issues who refuses to submit himself to God's word. And I found that in my own experience to be true because what changes people is God's word. If we submit to it, it, we see the amazing ways in which people's lives are transformed by it. And so James says we need to have this teachable spirit. And then I think he kind of fleshes out uh, what that teachable spirit looks like in verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let each person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, that is great advice for all of life. I think we could all benefit by being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But specifically in this context, it's talking about God's word. If we're to be people who hear God's word, who truly receive it, these are the sort of qualities that need to characterize our life. Let's go ahead and look at the first one. It says, let every person be quick to hear. We live in a very distracted age, don't we? Some of you guys, by this point in my sermon, have texted three people, checked your Facebook, and sold a couch on eBay. (laughs) I actually read an article that said that uh, at this point, because of technology, because of how it's affecting us, the average human's attention span is eight seconds long. Just for scale, do you know how long of an attention span a goldfish has? Nine seconds. (laughs) So I'm preaching a 45-minute sermon to a bunch of goldfish, and it's being preached by a goldfish, right? (laughs) It takes work to listen. It takes work to hear. And so being quick to hear means we need to be eager to hear. We need to put in the effort to hear God's word. And so there's some practical ways that we can do that, right? One would be remove those distractions, okay? If if you have a hard time not using your phone in church, uh, maybe leave it in your car. Maybe put it face down, away from you, turn off the notifications and use a physical Bible, If we want to be quick to hear, uh, we want to seek out opportunities to hear God's word. We have greater opportunity to hear God's word than any other generation ever before. You can listen to it in podcasts. You can hear it on the radio. You can hear it preached uh, everywhere you go. You can read books about God's word. We can hear God's word all over the place. There's so many wealth of resources that we have. Let's take advantage of those if we were to be quick to hear. Just some practical things. Uh, That means maybe get a good night's sleep before church. That might mean take some notes with pen and paper to help you track along with the sermon. That might mean maybe spending less time uh, watching uh, TikTok videos over and over and over again and and shortening your attention span so that a 45-minute sermon seems like an eternity. We are to be quick to hear. If we are people who want to receive God's word, that is what we must do. But then he says in verse 19, another one, and he adds to that. Look at it. It says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. I uh, went over to a friend's house one time, and there was a group of people there, and they were playing cards with these like jumbo playing cards. They were huge. Uh, And so I came in and immediately blurted out, what's with the giant cards? What are you guys, blind or something? One of the people in the group was blind. (laughs) That's why they were using the big cards, because they could just barely see it with the big cards. I'm sure many of us have had situations like that, where if we would have been a little slower to speak, 
we would have saved ourselves a lot of trouble. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. And not only does being slow to speak keep us from being foolish, it can keep us from sin. Proverbs 10, 19 says this, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. The idea there is the more we speak, the quicker we are to talk, and the, the easier it is to sin with the words that we say. And so there is wisdom in being slow to speak, and, and it keeps us from foolishness, it keeps us from sin, but being slow to speak actually helps us to better hear God's word. I want you to picture in your mind someone who is the opposite of being slow to speak. Those, the person you know that's always quick to give their opinion, that always has an answer for everything, that's always talking and talking, the chatty Cathy's, the talkative Timmy's, whoever they are, picture that person in your head. Now let me ask you a question about that person. How good of a listener are they? My guess is that they are probably not a very good listener. And my, my guess is that the reason that a lot of people can't hear God's word is they're too busy listening to themselves talk. We're so quick to speak. We're so quick to give our own advice, give our own wisdom, share our own experience that oftentimes we don't stop to search out what does God's word say? So just some practical ways to be slow to speak is one, take some time, think before you speak. Don't just blurt out the first thing that comes to your head. Take some time to think, is what I'm saying going to be helpful? The other thing would be to go to God's word before you give advice. I've definitely struggled with this where some people ask me advice as a pastor and I immediately just start spouting things off. And I'm like, I haven't even thought about what God's word says in this situation. Because I've been so quick to speak my own words. We are to see God's voice as more important than our own. And so we are to be quick to hear. We're to be slow to speak. And then at the end of verse 19, he says, be slow to anger. We live in an age where everybody's angry about something. You watch the news for 10 minutes, everybody's yelling at each other. You go to social media for 10 minutes, everybody's yelling at each other. By the end of time, you're angry too. Anger can even be seen at sometimes as, as a sign of strength, as a positive quality. I like this guy because he gets riled up. But scripture tells us something very different. It says we must be slow to anger. And we need to be slow to anger because it keeps us from receiving God's word. The commentator said this, a great talker is rarely a great listener and never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. We know that's true. When you're angry, when you're fuming, when you're mad about something, you can't hear what other people are saying. If we're angry in our life, we're not, we're not able to hear God's word. And this is important to be slow to anger because sometimes God's word makes us angry. If you're in a church where God's word is taught, there's going to be times where it confronts you. And we don't like that. We don't like God's word telling us what to do. We don't like God's word challenging us to change and confronting us in our sin. We don't want to hear that. And so there's two choices when that happens. We can get angry. We can turn off our ears. We can get mad at the pastor. We can get mad at uh, the Bible study. We can get mad at, at other people. And really what we're mad at is God's word. And the other choice is that we can be slow to anger. We can feel that tension rising up and realize, I think this is happening because there's something sinful in me that God's word is speaking against. Instead of getting riled up and shutting down, I need to deal with this. So we are to be slow to anger if we are to hear God's word. And, 
And not only that, we're to be slow to anger because of what anger produces. Verse 20 says this, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteous life that God desires. And we know this to be true. Look back at the last time you were really mad. What came out of that anger? What did that produce? What did that accomplish? My guess is for most of us, the answer would be nothing good. And in fact, some sinful things, some harsh words, decisions that we regret. Yes, I I know some of you are thinking this. There, There is such a thing as righteous anger. There are times where we are called to be angry in Scripture. But the vast majority of time when we get angry, it is not for righteous reasons or for righteous purposes. It is because we are selfish and it leads to sin. And so we would do well to be suspicious of our anger. And if you are an angry person who has a short fuse, who is always blowing up, you need to evaluate yourself. Because not only is that leading to sin, that is cutting you off from hearing the word of God, which is the very thing which transforms you and grows you and shapes you and sanctifies you. Anger does not produce the righteousness of God, but do you know what does? His word. So don't close your ears to God's word in your anger. We must hear the word with a teachable spirit, being quick to listen, being slow to speak, being slow to anger. But there's another thing that we have to have in order to hear God's word properly. We have to have a teachable spirit, but in verse 21, it says, if we are to receive God's word, we need to do so with a righteous life. Verse 21 says, therefore, put all filthiness and rampant, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So notice the the order there. In order to receive God's word, we must put away first filthiness and we must put away rampant wickedness. And what's implied there is that our sin keeps us from receiving the word of God. This word for uh, wickedness, filthiness here, put away filthiness is is actually a word that uh, can be used has been used as a medical term uh, for earwax. When I was in high school, I went to a summer camp, and like one day into that summer camp, I lost hearing in my left ear. And everything was muffled. I couldn't hear anything. It was just, it was miserable. And, and after a couple of days of that, uh, my cabin counselor was like, dude, may- maybe you have something in your ear that needs to come out. And so he gave me some Q-tips, and, and I know technically you're not supposed to put them in the ear, but we live in the real world, guys, okay? I know you all do it. And so I put this Q-tip in my ear, and, and I pulled out the most massive piece of earwax I've ever seen in my life. It was huge. Like, I could have, I could have turned this into a candle. That's how big this thing was. <laughs> And all these high school boys, of course, were all like, oh, it's awesome, you know, and we're all gathered around it. But you know what happened after I pulled that massive, disgusting piece of earwax out of my ear? I could hear again. I could hear the conversations. I could hear the people talk to me. My vision, uh, I was healed, right? And the reason I couldn't hear before is because that, that earwax was actually making me deaf. It was blocking my ear from hearing what was around me. And sin works in the same way. Sin deafens our ears to the voice of God. That makes sense, doesn't it? Your sin doesn't want you to hear God's word because God's word is going to confront that sin. Because God's word has the power to help you transform and overcome that sin. And so sin in your life and Satan has an inherent interest of blocking your ears from hearing God's word. So many times we think sin is not a big deal. It it doesn't really have that much of an effect. It's just this little thing over here. But when we persist in sin, we are deafening our ears to the voice of God. 
And the more you continue in sin, the more you indulge in filthiness and rampant wickedness, the more and more deaf your ears become to God's word. So if we want to hear God's voice, we need to live a righteous life. We need to flee from sin. We need to take sin seriously. It's not a joke. It's not a minor thing. So we see in this first part of this passage that if we are to receive God's word, which we're commanded to do, if we're to hear God's word, we need to do it with a teachable spirit and with a righteous life. But the obedience to God doesn't stop there. In verses 22 through 25, we get our next section. Uh, We're to hear God's word, but now it says we are to do the word. We see the command to do the word in verse 22. It says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So look at that command there. It says we're commanded to be doers of the word. And the reason is it's not enough just to hear. It's not enough just to hear God's word. Jesus actually makes the same point in the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Uh, Go ahead and turn there. It's in Matthew chapter 7. Keep your finger and bookmark or whatever in Galatians. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Uh, This is one of those parables that, man, as a kid, I loved the song, and I had no idea what it meant other than I shouldn't build a house on sand if I was ever to build a house, right? But look at, look at what Jesus is trying to illustrate with this in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I'll go ahead and read it for you. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Christ speaking, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So James is teaching the same thing that Jesus is teaching in this parable. It's not enough just to hear the words of Scripture. We need to do what they say. So keep your finger in Matthew 7. We'll be back there in just a second. But go back to James. Because James is going to give us here some reasons why we are not just to be doers of the word, not just to be hearers of the word, but to do what it says. We see the verse, first one. In verse 22, and that is that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only so that we do not deceive ourselves. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Verse 26, which we'll get to later, talks about that deception as well. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. So James' point here is that if we hear the word and don't do it, we are in danger of deceiving ourselves. Now, go back to Matthew chapter 7, just right above that parable about the house on the rock in verse 21 through 23. As we see, what James is teaching us is, is a very real and serious reality, and that is that people can be deceived into thinking that they are Christians when they are not. Look what James, look what Matthew says, actually Jesus says in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And what a terrible reality. There are people that are fully convinced in their own mind that they are believers, that they are following the Lord, and they are going to see the Lord someday, and he's going to say, depart from me. I never 
knew you. I want you to see in verse 21 the reason that they're not let into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. James says there is a danger in hearing the word and not doing it. Here, Jesus says these people who are deceived, who think they're Christians, are not. It's because they did not do the will of God. And so there's a danger because we can hear God's word and we can think that that somehow makes us spiritual. We can feel pretty good about ourselves because we listen to a sermon and, and we read a, a theological book and, and we go to small group and, and we're listening to Christian podcasts and all these things and we can take those things into our life and never do a thing about them. But somehow feel like that makes us okay with God. And the sad thing is there are going to be people that, that come before Christ and, and say, Lord, uh, didn't you see all the Bible studies I went to? Don't you see all the scripture I memorize? Don't you know how consistently I went to church and, and heard sermons and, and did all these things and Jesus will say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. Because they heard the word and deceived themselves by not doing it. Not every sermon is going to knock your socks off. There might be a few boring messages here and then not preached by me, but, you know, maybe the other guy, right? <laughs> but that doesn't excuse us from the responsibility that we have to do what God's word says. I'm not saying that after every message you have this radical life change, but the word should be making a difference in your life. And maybe that's just small steps. That's often what it is. Small steps in obedience, small steps in following Christ. Sometimes that is radical, huge changes in your life. But if you look at your life and, and you're hearing the word and you see that it has no effect on you, this passage serves as a warning. Hear and do the word of God so that you don't deceive yourselves. Looking back in James, we're going to get to our next point here. We are to hear and do the word so we don't deceive ourselves. But now in, in verses 23 through 24, it says we are to hear and do the word so that we don't miss the point. James gives this illustration in verse 23 and 24. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So here's the, here's the idea, okay? Uh, we got a pretty good-looking group of people here this morning. But I know that you didn't roll out of bed looking the way that you look. Most of you. We all did something this morning. We got up and we looked in a mirror. And as we looked in the mirror, the, the point of looking in that mirror was to see what I look like and to see what needs to change. You know, so you look in the mirror, you see your hair is all screwed up, so you're going you're gonna to comb it over. You see, uh, you know, your teeth look gross, you're going to brush them. You got a giant pimple right from the popping on your forehead, you're going to pop that sucker, right? That's the whole point of looking in the mirror, is to see yourself and then to do something about it. And so God's word is like a mirror. When we look into God's word, it reveals who we are. It shows us the glorious realities that as Christians we're children of God, that we're adopted into his family, that there's no condemnation. It shows all those things, but it also shows the sinful and ugly parts of us. It reveals that sin. It reveals that area of idolatry, that, that area of disobedience. And so if we look into the word and we see those things and we're like this man and we walk away and we don't do anything about it, we miss the point. 
There was no point in this man looking in the mirror if he wasn't going to do anything about it. The point of the mirror was to show him what he was like so he could fix it. The point of God's word is to show us who we are, to reveal to us our sins so that we can obey his word and do something about it. And so I hope that you're listening to the sermon I'm preaching. I hope that you learn lots of interesting things about the book of James. I hope you feel convicted. I hope you feel encouraged. But my question to you is what are you going to do about what God's word is saying? If the answer to that question is nothing, then you've missed the point. God's word isn't here to entertain us. God's word isn't here to make us feel good about ourselves. God's word isn't here so we can learn lots of interesting things. God's word is here and we teach God's word because it is meant to be heard and obeyed. D.L. Moody said it well. The Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. So if you go to Bible studies, if, if you hear God's word, if, you, if you're uh, you know, listening to Christian podcasts, all those things are well and good, but you need to actually do something about the things that you're hearing. Because if you don't, you've missed the whole point. So we are to hear and do so we don't deceive ourselves and we are to hear and do so we don't miss the point of God giving us his word in the first place. Well, the next point that we see here is we are to hear and, and do God's word, hear and obey it because obedience to God's word results in blessing. We're to hear and do God's word so we receive God's blessing. We see this in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so notice, notice how God's word is described here. He describes it as the perfect law, reminding us that God's word is without error, that there aren't mistakes in God's word, that God didn't say things in his word that aren't accurate or aren't true. But then he also describes it in verse 25, if you look there, as the law of liberty. A lot of times we think of God's word as this burdensome thing, keeping me from the freedom of doing what I want to do. But God reminds us in his word that true freedom does not come from doing whatever you want. We see people who do whatever they want. Those people are not free. Freedom comes from obeying God's word, from living how he's designed you to live, from doing what he's designed you to do. There is where true freedom comes. And so in verse 25, James is comparing two men. So there's the one who looks in the mirror and doesn't do anything about it. And this man looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. So both of them are similar. They're both hearing the word. They're both looking into the word, examining what it says. But the difference is the second man does something about it. He perseveres in verse 25. And that reminds us that doing God's word isn't easy. And there's a lot of times where it would be so much easier to give in to sin. It would be so much easier not to love my neighbor. It would be so much easier to be selfish and self-focused and to not obey and to not live in holiness. God's word isn't easy to obey. I'm not giving you a quick solution here. We have to persevere if we're to obey God's word, but it is worth the effort because what does he say results? The one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We persevere in doing God's word, even when it's hard, even when it's tough, because we know that God has promised us something better. Luke eleven twenty eight tells us, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 
And there are many present blessings of hearing and doing God's word. We see blessings in our life that come when we obey God, when we live the way he's told us to live. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is joy in this present life. There are blessings in this present life when we obey the Lord. But there's also future blessings of hearing and doing God's word. Because in some ways, obeying God's word, doing God's word, will make things in your life harder. It might, in some cases, cost you a friendship. It might cost you a job. It might be difficult and challenging. It might bring hardship and persecution. But look at what Jesus promises in Matthew 18, 19, 29. He says this, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So obedience to God, it is hard work, but there is blessing in this life. And and even as times obedience to God costs us in this life, there is blessing that is far greater than we can imagine waiting for us. So don't just hear the word, do what it says and enjoy the blessing that comes from obedience. We're called to hear the word. We're called to do the word. And in this last section, in verses 26 through 27, James gives us three very practical ways we can live this out. James is a practical guy. He wants us to apply these truths. And so he lists three things. These aren't the only three ways that we can hear and do God's word, but these are three important ways in which we can demonstrate that we are obedient to God. So let's go ahead and look at these in turn. The first one is in verse 26, and that is if we are to live the word, we must control our speech. Verse 26 says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James is going to talk a lot about the tongue and how important that is in James chapter 3. So I don't want to get into that too much, but James makes a very important point here. He says, if you say that you have a religion that is is pleasing God, if you think that you're spiritual and holy, but you can't bridle your tongue, you are a phony. Those things you're doing are worthless. I know a lot of people that, that, that say to me, you know what, I just say things how it is. I call it how I see it. And and they wear that as a badge of pride. Someone uh, said to the preacher John Wesley, uh, who was uh, a preacher a long time ago, he said this to John Wesley, uh, my talent is to speak my mind. And Wesley's reply was this, that's one talent God wouldn't care a bit if you buried I love that. I wish I could come up with things like that on the spot. But that's true, okay? If our world glamorizes people who who speak their mind, people who who are bombastic with their speech, you know, whatever, if they want to do that. But that's not what God's word says. People who are hearing and doing the word are people who control their speech. And why is this so important? The reason this is so important is because our words reveal our heart. Luke 6.45 says this, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks. You ever have that moment where something comes out of your mouth and you're like, where did that come from? It was so awful. That, that, that's not me. That is you. That's in your heart. 
You wouldn't have spoken that if that that wasn't in some dark part of your heart. And so the words that we say reveal what our heart looks like. And let me make clear, a mouth that is not under God's control reveals a heart that isn't either. If we were to hear and do the word, if we were to live the word out in obedience, we must control our speech. But next he says in verse 27 that if we were to hear and do the word, if we were to live out our faith, we must care for the needy. Verse 27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. I want to make a clarification because this word has been misused to say that as Christians, all all that we need to do is care for orphans and widows. That's all that matters. That's not what James is saying here. But what James is saying is that if we are to be faithful and obedient to God, this is one of the things that we must do. This command to care for orphans and widows is repeated throughout Scripture, and it's rooted in the heart of God. He describes God as the Father here. Psalm 68.5 says this of God, God is the Father of the fatherless and protector of widows. And so we, we have several widows in our church, and I just want to say that we are so thankful for you. Your obedience to God, your faithfulness, even in, in the difficulties of, of that season, are, are an inspiration. And I hope that you feel cared for by the people at our church. And if you ever need anything, don't hesitate to ask. Don't feel like you're imposing us. This is our job as Christians to care for you. As Christians, we should care for widows. As Christians, we should care for orphans. We should be more passionate than anyone else about adoption. More passionate than than anyone else about about foster care, about caring for the unborn. And I'm so glad that, that many of you have done that. Many of you have done that yourselves. You've helped others do those things. That is part of a religion that is pleasing, pure, and undefiled before God. And I think we can apply this command not just to orphans and widows, but I think James is using this as a stand-in for all the people who are in need. John 3, 17 through 18 says this, if, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. So one of the ways that you can show that you hear and you do God's word is to care for the needy. There's a lot of needy people around us. So maybe consider adoption or foster care or helping someone else finance that so that they can do that. Maybe help the widow down the street cut her grass and shovel her driveway. Maybe offer to babysit uh, for the single mom. Maybe give to our benevolence offering so we can use that money to help people that are in different difficulties in this church. If we see our brother in need, God says his love in us should compel us to help them meet that need. If we are to live in obedience to God's word, we must care for the needy. And then finally, the last way that we are to Uh, He gives us uh, one of the ways that we can show that we're obedient to God, we're living out our faith, is to keep ourselves pure. He says this at the end of verse 27. Religion that is pure before, undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To keep oneself unstained from the world. We recently got a minivan, and I have to admit, I can't be more excited about it. Some of you guys are like, minivans are lame, and you know, you're not cool anymore, and you know what? It's, it's a wonderful thing. You should get one, all right? And I love this minivan, and, and, and I get excited when I go out and I see it, and, and, uh, and it's, it's the nicest car that we've ever had. 
Uh, and the guy that I, that I bought it from, he took really good care of it. It's nice and clean and pristine in the inside. And I am doing my best to keep that minivan unstained from the world. Which is not an easy task when you have little kids who seem to be experts at staining the world, right? And so because of that, because that's what I'm trying to do, uh, we've put some restrictions in place, okay? The kids are not allowed to bring food into the car. I'm not going to let them drink cranberry juice in the car. They're not allowed to play with markers in the car. My wife has to have a lid on her coffee cup in the car. Okay, and I'm doing these things because I know that those things stain. And I'm trying to keep my car unstained. And so the way that I'm doing it is trying to keep those things out of my car. The analogy is this. The the world is a wicked place. And the world can have a corrupting, a polluting, a staining effect on our spiritual life. And so this means if we're to keep our souls unstained from the world, there are certain things that we have to keep out. And yet so often we're so lax in doing this, or or maybe we don't do this at all. We watch the same TV shows as the world. We listen to the same music they do. We do the same things. We go to the same places and we do all these things and allow all this filth into our spiritual life. And I'm not trying to sound puritanical here, but one of the things that the Puritans got right is that holiness matters. And part of pursuing holiness means you have to say no to some things. There have to be things that you're not going to watch. There have to be conversations that you're not going to participate in, places you're not going to go. And it's not because you're trying to be a prude. It's not because you're being a legalist, because you value your holiness and you know those things have an effect on your life. Christ has redeemed us by his blood. He has washed us white and, and, and then we go and roll around in the mud. This world is not a neutral place. It is, Satan is the the prince of this world. He is using things in this world to corrupt our faith, to stain us, to lead us into sin and immorality, and we just take it all in without any discernment. Part of pursuing holiness, if we want to stay unstained from the world, is saying no to certain things in the world. So just like I don't let my kids bring cranberry juice in the car, there's some things we shouldn't let into our homes. Some things we shouldn't have on our phones. So I just want to give you a couple practical uh, ways to pursue this purity. And my, my first one that I go to is, is think about the things you let into your life and evaluate them based on Philippians 4.8. So sometimes people are like, hey, can you just tell me, give me a list of the TV shows I can watch and the ones I can't? I'm not going to do that. But what I'll do is I will point you to Philippians 4.8, which says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then use that verse as a grid to interpret the things that you let into your life. Is this honorable? Is this just? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it pure? Is there any excellence? And if the answer to all those questions is no, then don't be afraid to cut that thing out of your life. And yeah, the world might think you're a prude, and you know what? Other Christians might say you're a prude too. But that doesn't matter. What matters is hearing and doing God's word. What matters is living in the holiness that God has called us to live. So if we want to live in obedience to God's word, we must keep ourselves pure. We've seen in our text this morning, we have to live out our faith in obedience to God's word by hearing the word, doing the word, and living it. I've been a pastor at this church for the past uh, four years, a little over four years now. 
And in that time, I've seen some people grow tremendously. And in that time as well, I've seen some people fall away from the faith. And these were people that were hearing the same sermons. People that were in the same Bible studies and small groups and and reading the same books. And, And do you know what made the difference? It was how they responded to the word of God. The people who who fell away, who have fallen away, is because they rejected the word of God. He said, I don't, I don't want that. I don't need to listen to that. I, that. That makes me angry. I'm not gonna submit to that. And the ones that have grown the most that I've seen are those who have been eager to receive God's word and have done what it says. So if you aren't eager to hear God's word, if it doesn't have an effect on how you live, you might need to seriously consider the fact that you might not be saved. And I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that because this same word tells us the way that we can be saved. It's not through the works that we do. It's a gift of God. It's a work of grace. Through Jesus Christ, he can save you from your sins. All you have to do is call upon his name, repent, and believe. And do that today. But if you are eager to hear God's word and do what it says, I promise that that will have a transforming effect on your life. I've seen God's word save marriages. I've seen it turn selfish boys into godly men. I've seen it break the hardest of hearts. I've seen it help people overcome the most difficult of sins. And there are some of you in this room that I hardly recognize because of how God's word has grown you and changed you over the past four years. And that is the delight to see and glory be to God for all of that. God's word will transform us if we let it. But we must hear the word, receiving it with a humble and teachable spirit and with a righteous life, and we must do what it says. So I want to just leave you with with one small thing. I want you to write, think of one way One way you can apply what you heard in this message to your life. Just one. That's all I'm asking for is one way that you can take this word that you've heard and you can do something about it. Write it down. Tell one of your friends about it so they can keep you accountable in it. And let God's word do the thing that it's supposed to do, which is change you and transform you and be lived out in your life. Would you bow your heads as we go before the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We know that part of what it means to be a Christian is to be people of your word, people who hear your word and people who do what it says. We know this is difficult at times. We know that sometimes obedience costs us, that sometimes it is just so much easier to please our flesh. But Lord, this is what you've called us to do. And your word works in us and transforms our hearts so this becomes what we want to do and your Holy Spirit helps us and strengthens us in that work. And and all this time, we, we are reminded, Lord, that it's not the things that we do that save us. That we've received salvation as a gift by grace and we rejoice in that. But we pray that we would live out that grace with our actions with our words, with how we treat other people, with what we prioritize, with what we think about, with what we watch on TV. So that it could be said of us that we are people that are quick to hear God's word, are eager to hear God's word, and not just hear it, but we are quick to do it, 
and to allow it to shape our lives. I pray that for everyone here. I pray that for myself. And we know that if we do that, your word will work. It does not return void. Thank you for this time that we've been able to spend together. May we be a church that are people of your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen.